Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Man, there was a bear bear, all black and brown and covered in hair. Hey everyone, I'm Guile, and today I'm joined by Clotho. Hi, I'm Clotho, and you can find me at Clotho Spindle on Twitter. And Kama. Hi, I'm Kama, and you can find me at the hyphen real hyphen comma splice on Tumblr. And today we're going to be discussing Daenerys' fourth chapter from A Storm of Swords. And I would give a strong trigger warning for rape and assorted like male grossness, I guess. <laughs> you know, standard yeah. violence as well. Um, so this chapter starts out where Danny and her host are laying, essentially they're right outside Young Kai and they're getting ready for a battle. And Danny is with Jorah and some of her Dothraki scouts and they're kind of checking out the, def- checking out the defenders of Young Kai. And there's um, a couple of sellsword companies of about 500 men each. I think of 500 men each. We have the second sons, the storm crows, and then the rest of the troops are um, Young Kai slaves. And it sounds like their slaves are generally not regarded as fighters. They are more bad slaves by reputation. So, um, you know, they're not up against a lot. What we don't really get is, um, like, I, and I don't, I just, like, dumb question. Why is Danny here? Why is she deciding? Is this just a free the slaves quest or... Um, I don't know. Right. I don't know if I missed that in prior chapters, but it kind of was like, I, I feel like it's it a seemed, valid question. It seemed kind of random to me too. And I, I was just like, okay. And I was too lazy to go back and look it up, but yeah, I, I didn't know either. Basically, you know, it's pretty obvious that Danny with her 10,000 plus unsullied is going to kick their butts. Like her army's going to win. But I think she feels a little insecure. A, a, she's not really comfortable, like, <laughs> she's not comfortable taking a lot of casualties on her side. And I think she is just a little, un, you know, she doesn't want to take anything for granted. So she's, you know, having her people, you know, prepare, realistically prepare for this. And we meet Grey Worm here. And, um, you know, we find out that Danny told the Unsullied to essentially um elect their generals from their amongst their own ranks. And then of that, Grey Worm was overwhelmingly the choice for um, overall leadership. And we find that Danny told the Unsullied to, you know, pick, you know, pick, pick their own name. They didn't have to be bound to their slave names. They could go back to their birth name, name themselves something else. And it sounds like most of them do that. They pick different names and, you know, their birth name or, she says, you know, weapons, gems, even flowers, um, all different kinds of things. But Grey Worm keeps Grey Worm. And he says that because it's a lucky name, because the name he was born under was the name that he had when he was enslaved. But Grey Worm was the name that he had when he was freed. So he chooses to um, he chooses to keep the name Grey Worm. And it sounds like Jor has been helping him, like kind of leadership training more or less. But that, you know, obviously by his election and just everything else, like Grey Worm's like, I think we're supposed to take away Grey Worm, pretty solid, like solid dude at this yeah. point. Um, and then, you know, kind of maybe a foreshadow of 
Danny's future is she's thinking about the fact that a lot of um, a lot of the freed slaves from from Astapor have come along with her. And so she has, you know, her unsullied. She has like 30 Dothraki troops. And then she has all these men, women and children that um, and their and their animals and whatnot that are following her. And they're kind of like eating their way across the countryside. And, Mm. you know, she thinks I gave them the city and most of them are too afraid to take it. And, you know, she kind of, she would, Jorah and the Blood Riders want her to abandon them, but she just, she can't do it. And, you know, she thinks she might have the best soldiers in the world, but she also has the worst. Um, Yeah, so she, um, she wants to talk to the, the leaders of the Stormcrows and the Second Sons and um, the Young Kai. And because um, I think she's looking, essentially she's kind of looking for a way out of battle, more or less. And, um, you know, she's like, they'll come, you know, they'll come talk to me if for no other reason than they want to see the dragons. So um, we get a few, you know, we get a few scenes of the various people meeting her. And the first are the storm crows. And um, they send their three leaders who are, you know, stupid names. Sorry, this is the chapter of stupid names. So we have. Prendal Nagazin, Salar the Bald, and then Dario Naharis. <laughs> and I think it's worth um, giving a description of Dario Naharis. Um, Dario Naharis was flamboyant, even for a Tyroshi. His beard was cut into three prongs and dyed blue, the same color as his eyes and the curly hair that fell to his collar. His pointed mustachios were painted gold. His clothes were all shades of yellow, a foam of mirish lace, the color of butter, Built from his collars and cuffs. His doublet was sewn with brass medallions <laughs> in the shape of dandelions and ornamental gold work, gold work crawled up his high leather boots to his thighs. Gloves of soft yellow suede were tucked into a belt of gilded rings and his fingernails were enameled blue. Oh, it <laughs> gosh. Like, like but, even worse than like the Jamie descriptions of his outfit. <laughs> it's like so like, but, over the top. But what kills me is, all right, so I read that description. <laughs> I remember reading it the first time going, oh, my. <laughs> and at no point in that initial description did I get the impression that she found any of that at all attractive. I think the the curls falling to his collar was sort of a sign I guess I'm just like it's just I want to channel my inner Tim Gunn and go. That's a lot of look, dude. It's, well, who was it? Was it um, Coco Chanel that said, you know, you should take three things off before you leave the house? <laughs> <laughs> you know, dude. Like at least the gloves. That seems a little unpredictable. Well, I guess if he's riding, though, he probably wants gloves. Oh, so gosh, yeah. And yeah. I mean, Jorah mentions the beard too. He doesn't approve. <laughs> Yeah, just as a fake beard color. Oh. Yeah. Jorah has some issues this <laughs> this chapter. So Prendal is kind of the spokesperson for um, the Storm Crows, and you know he's a little condescending to Danny. And Danny's, you know, I'm just a girl, but you have 500 troops, and I have 10,000. It seems as if I should be kicking your ass. And you know he kind of just basically ignores that and you know danny's kind of making them these offers like you know if you guys just don't fight or fight for me like i'm you know i'm not going to pursue action against you essentially and um you know they're like no we're you know we're going to keep our word but when they leave um you know danny notes that dario naharis like glances back and like gives her a nod essentially um so you know 
we'll find out more about that. So then we get we get the leader of the Second Sons, Miro, who's also known as the Titans Bastard, which is he's he's a dick. Like I don't know how else to put this. Like all he does is make a bunch of innuendos about how, oh, I think I fucked your sister, your twin sister in a pleasure house, you know, blah blah blah. And oh my dick's so big. You know, he's just like gross. he's just yeah, they're right. all disgusting, but he's particularly disgusting. Yeah, and just, you know, uh, you know, and like they're She's, you know, stay in, you know, she makes kind of the same offer, stay and fight for me. And, you know, he does say, you're, you know, you're worth fighting for, but, you know, then I would gladly let you kiss my sword. Like, ugh, gross. <laughs> um, and it's like, they can count as well. So I'm, I'm a little, un, like, they're just that grossly underestimating her. Like, what did they think was going to happen here? Um, so, you know, he's also like, you know, we are you know, we're the second sons, like, we've, you know, we're not going to go back on our word, no one else will ever hire us, and um, they, he, she tells him to go back to his company and tell them the offer, and gives them a wagon of wine, like an entire wagon, and, um, you know, they'll give her an answer when the sun comes up, and when he leaves, um, Arston notes that, you know, the second sons used to have a good reputation, but under under Miro, they're basically as bad as the Brave Companions. So that's, you know, the group with the mountain, etc. So, I mean, those are some pretty shitty dudes. Yeah. And basically, he's here because no one in the free cities will hire him anymore. Um, and then the Stormcrows, you know, Jor is pretty sure the Stormcrows aren't going to turn because their leader, that Prendal, is Gascari. And he's like, he probably had relatives in Astapor, like, there's no... You know, no way that those guys are cracking. So then she meets the head of um, the envoys of Young Kai, and their main guy is also has a stupid name, Grazdan Mo Eraz. Like, seriously? Um, anyway, <laughs> and you know, she says she basically tells them, you know, give up, let your slaves free, and let them pick some possessions from their masters in three days, or I'm gonna, you know, take you over. And um, He's not really having any of it. And um, Danny, like, actually has Dro- uh, Drogon burns his hat and everything. So she's kind of playing hardball with him a little bit. And, you know, he, like, kind of, you know, he leaves. But she says, you know, in three days, get you know, tell the city the offer. In three days, you know, I'm going to be there whether you open the gates for me or not. And um, she then she brings her blood riders to her and tells the tells the plan, which is they're going to attack um, after midnight. So, you know, she's kind of told all these people that they have time, but really she's going to attack like that night, you know, thinking that um, the storm crows will be arguing. The second sons will be drunk and young Kai will be completely unprepared. So um, that's, you know, that's the plan. And, um, you know, Jorah and Arston seem to be pretty impressed. Like, Jorah's like, I think you're a Rhaegar Targaryen sister. And, you know, Arson's like, and you're a queen. Um, <laughs> they're both like, oh. Um, so as they're preparing for this, the Unsullied catch a spy. And it turns out it's actually Dario come, coming back to Danny, And um, he's bringing her a gift. And we find out that the gift is um, the heads of the other two heads <laughs> of the Stormcrows. <laughs> So, and we get like the dragons are like super into, you know, super into these, like the blood leaking from their heads and stuff. And like, they're liking the smell of the roasted head meat and everything. Um, yeah. So, 
she, you know, they, she asks Dario, like, you know, why did you do it? And he's like, oh, you're so beautiful. And he's all like, um, and they talk and he's just, you know, he has like the pommels of his blades are a pair of, na- the hilts of his blades are naked women. And he's like, oh, I haven't lived a day if I haven't made love to a woman and fought a battle, blah, blah, blah. So he's just, you know, so he's just like. I mean, I was going to say, he's just like every person that you shouldn't have been attracted to, but inexplicably are for Danny. But I mean, I can't, I can't imagine being attracted to this. Like this, I really am questioning Danny's taste level here. Or even like trusting it because it just, I don't know. It just seems like it could have, it could be a a trick. You know what I mean? He could have like tried to assassinate her. The whole thing. I guess, but I mean, I mean, I feel like I'm surprised that the both companies didn't do that because Mm -hmm. like. She does have, you know, all those Unsullied and Three Dragons. And, yeah. you know, you might be like, like, why wouldn't you throw in with her in this situation? Right, that's but, true. You know? Yeah, I mean, it, and it, then, it just, it, it's, and it's going to, I mean, it would go to anyone's head if you keep winning every battle. You know? And I mean, it seems like if you were like a, you know, if I'm imagining that in general, um, cell swords don't have long lives and that they might mm-hmm. be up for a bit of adventure and, you know, Oh, I'm gonna go fight for the queen that has the first dragons, and you know, whatever hundreds of years. Like that seems kind of fun. <laughs> like, you know, well, I get why he's doing it. What I don't get is why she's into him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just a. I mean, this is one of those like Danny is written. We can respect some of George's writing, but you know, he is a however old he was at the time. Man is writing this female character. Yeah. Right. And this might be what men think women are attracted to. I, well, mean, I, mean, I feel like really like a man thinks that we're attracted to people with like three pronged beards dyed blue and like wearing a, you know, <laughs> seems so I, mean, I, I, I get that. Like she's a teenage girl. I mean, she's a conqueror, but she's, she's still like what, 15, 16 years old. And you know, sometimes and apologies to any adolescents who may or may not be listening to us, but like sometimes your taste is a little questionable. <laughs> <laughs> like a rebel. Yeah. <laughs> but he is just written like, uh, I don't know, like some way, I was going to say like a, I don't know, like a seventies motorcycle gang guy, <laughs> but he, he's he way so- over the top. I mean, just yeah. take that and then Cartoon-ish. go like 500 degrees, you know, grosser <laughs> well maybe that's a good comparison is like because i feel like there's a bit of like as much as he's like a soldier and like you know talking about his prowess and stuff there is a little bit i mean just like with how fancy he is i feel like there's a little bit of like a david bowie mm. like 70s androgyny appeal to him maybe like is i mean i feel like the 70s rock star like i just like i don't i saw this right. documentary like a Ziggy Stardust kind of glam thing. Yeah, or even like, you know, you look at old videos of Led Zeppelin, and I'm sorry, but Robert Plant, those are blouses from the juniors department. <laughs> and, like, he's wearing these tiny little tops and stuff. And I mean, for as much as their music is, you know, like, we're dudes, like, he's dressed like a girl. Right, and so maybe she's used to seeing all these that. super gruff guys, you know what I mean? And it's kind of maybe in her eyes a little refreshing to see somebody... I'm assuming he's clean. I don't know. It's like not as like. Well, I mean, it's the four men she's hanging out with are a eunuch, 
And then these three old dudes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hit, one of whom she, it keeps hitting on her and she finds really gross. The bar is low. Mean, <laughs> but I mean, she just spent like most of the chapter dealing with these, these two absolute bastards and their sexual harassment. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you think, like, her blood riders are probably attractive. You know, they're, like, they're probably younger guys, like, attractive. Yeah. But I guess, like, that's a line, you know, they're not going to cross at all. So yeah. she can't really be into them at all. But, yeah, so there's not really, like, any, like, there are no men. Like, <laughs> this is what, so basically, he's, this is maybe, like, a last man on earth situation. There's <laughs> <laughs> not much like, to choose from. Yeah, I mean, because even, like, before when she was in, um, Karth, you know, like, you know, Zaro Zandaxos in was clearly, um, you know, wasn't he gay, obviously, mm-hmm. and was just kind of like, you know, yeah, we can get married, and, like, you can do whatever you want, you know. So, I mean, yeah, she hasn't really had, like, some options, I guess. I mean, this just doesn't seem like a great one, but so, you know, she does, um, she does make him swear to her, and he does. He, you know, he swears that he's going to fight for her and everything, and you know, she, you know, Jorah's super suspicious and she kind of loses her temper at him, which I love. You know, she's just like, you know, there's a, a nice little passage that says, you know, while you have an honest beard, is that, you know, is making fun of Dario's beard. You know, even his beard is false. And Danny says, you know, while you used to have an honest beard, is that what you're telling me? You're the only man I should ever trust. He stiffened. I did not say that. You say it every day. Pyatt Pree's a liar. Zaro's a schemer. Belvis was a braggart. Arson an assassin. Do you think I'm still some virgin girl that I cannot hear the words behind the words? And, you know, she just says, you know, you've been a better friend to me than any I've known. A better brother than Viserys ever was. You're the first of my Queen's Guard, the commander of my army, my most valued counselor, my good right hand. I honor and respect and cherish you, but I do not desire you. Um, you know, Jorah Mormont and I am weary of you trying to push every other man in the world away from me. So I must needs rely on you and you alone. It will not serve and it will not make me love you any better. Which, I mean, whew, that's some tough love. Yeah, he needed to hear it. Yeah, I mean, he, mm. you know, he absolutely needed to hear it. And, you know, he he doesn't take it well. You know what? Like, I'm not a huge Jorah fan, but, you know, yeah, you're not just going to be like, okay. Like, yeah. that's a hard one, hard <laughs> thing to hear. And, um... You know, she kind of, you know, she's like, he's going to forgive me. But, um, you know, she's she didn't like to do that. And she thinks about, um, you know, she's lonely. She's thinking and, you know, she thinks about how Miri Mazdor said she'll never have a child. And, you know, she tells her dragons that, you know, you have to be my children. And she kind of is thinking about, like, you know, once they're big enough, I can ride one of them into battle. And I don't have to, you know, I could lead my own people into battle. Um, so. You know, they're getting ready for the attack, and um, Arston and Strong Valwis are guard, their job is to guard her. So they're kind of waiting, hanging out, waiting to hear what's going to happen with the battle. And, um, you know, Danny can't sleep. So she asks Arston to tell her more about Rhaegar. And, um, you know, she wants to hear what tourneys he won. And, um, you know, there's there's a couple of things where, like, obviously, our Barristan, like, won these tourneys, and he can't really say his own name. So it's kind of <laughs> But he talks, you know, Rhaegar wasn't really, you know, he he wasn't really a tourney guy, but he tells her, you know, he won the greatest tourney of them all. And um, it, he starts talking about the tourney at Harrenhal. And 
Um, you know, Danny's heard of this and, you know, knows that he gave Liana the, the crown of queen and love and beauty over Elia. And, you know, she's like, she kind of asks, like, why would he do that? Like, was Elia didn't treat him well? And, you know, Barristan's like, no, you know, he did. And, um, you know, she thinks if she had been born more, if she had been born sooner, Rager would have married her instead of Elia and he wouldn't have been able to have the start. He wouldn't have needed the start girl. And, you know, Barristan has this, you know, interesting thing. He's like, you know, I am, I'm not certain it was in Rager to be happy. And, you know, he says there's this melancholy to him, a sense of doom that, you know, he was born in grief and talks about all the time he spent in Summer Hall. And um, it's, you know, just you kind of again, it's like more of this moment. Just it, there's in the same part of the book, there's like three chapters in a row that I'll talk about Heron Hall. And so this is kind of one of our first uh, one of our first ones. And it gives a little history of that. But I also think it's meant to portray you know, who Rhaegar was. And she asks, like, oh, did the usurper play sad songs like Radar? <laughs> like, Rhaegar <laughs> just chuckles. Like, you know, Robert, no. He likes the songs that make him laugh. And, <laughs> um, you know, just like that that difference in their in their characters and stuff there. And then um, they get, they learn of the battle that basically the second son, the storm, the storm crows, like, fought for Danny. The second sons were too drunk and broke right away. And um, so did the, you know, the slaves threw down their spears and ran and um, they have several thousand captives and lost maybe a dozen people. So, you know, they just basically destroyed them as, as one would expect. And, you know, the next day she marches into Yang Kai and the gates open and people start coming, you know, coming out of the gates and they're yelling Misa and um, Misende, who's with Danny tells her that it means mother. And, you know, she's thinking like, yeah, I'm not going to have a child, but, you know, this is, these are my children. And um, they're kind of surrounding her, coming at her and her horse is frightened. But then she remembers the dream that she had or the scene, the vision that she had in the House of Undying. And, um, you know, it ends with this. um, She laughed, put her heels into her horse and rode to them, the bells in her hair ringing sweet victory. She trotted, then cantered, then broke into a gallop, her braids streaming behind. The, fl- the freed slaves parted before her. Mother, they called from a hundred throats, a thousand, ten thousand. Mother, they sang, their fingers brushing her legs as she flew by. Mother, mother, mother. So it's this, you know, it's her big moment of, you know, her big moment of triumph here in Young Kai. But, you know, also, like, I feel like the sense of, like, I mean, to me, it, to me, this chapter is very concerning, thinking about, like, oh, she has another, you know, thousands of freed slaves that now she's responsible for. You know, like, there's that whole, like, um, problem that, you know, this problem she's solving yet also creating and, you know, kind of becomes, like, her story for the next the next book, too. Right. Difference between conquering and ruling. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, because I think, um, you know, one thing that I skipped through is in Astapor, she had put in a council of, like, wise men to rule in her name. So, yeah, I mean, she's not She's just leaving these places, which, you know, we know is going to come back to right. to bite the ass. And I mean, people are, you know, I think it's smart that people will be like, okay, we're just going to go with you because they're probably well aware that somebody else is just going to step into the vacuum at some point. So it's, right. you know, it's only a matter of time, fortunately. Right. And I'm sure she seems like a supernatural force almost, mm-hmm. you know, like, especially in Astapor. So, you know, you can kind of get it, but yeah, it's not... Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's troubling, I guess we would say. So, well, and, and the idea of her as mother 
is, I mean, from a political standpoint, is troubling. I mean, like, I'm not speaking, I understand her emotional yeah. resonance and their their emotional resonance. But if you look at this from a political angle, most people probably, it's so paternalistic to have, like, you know, this this great leader who's going to take care of you. But that's not necessarily a good thing. I mean, that's a lot to ask of anyone. And also, that doesn't always translate into effective government. Yeah, I mean, you know, and of our of our various leaders, you know, in Westeros and out of Westeros, I mean, I would say that and, you know, not to argue your point, I think you're you're spot on. I was just thinking in terms of like, if you're a peasant, um, you know, if you're a peasant, who are the best, who are the leaders that actually would protect you or be good to you? And, you know, I think we've talked about Edmure being like, okay, he actually gives a shit about his people. And, you know, Danny too. I mean, unfortunately, like it's, everything turns into such a shit show that even if she meant the best for you, you're probably going to die of some horrible disease. That's probably your like best option later, you know, later on. But yeah, it's, she's, you know, she, you can see like the start of her pickle here. Right. So, um, and then too, you know, every, I mean, it's kind of interesting though. Like, honestly, like of her advice, you know, you think of like other people and their advisors and like their ulterior motives. She actually like, other than Jorah, like she actually like they're pretty single-minded for her. Like she's done well in, um, you know, collecting this group so far. And it doesn't even get into people like you know Grolio, her, um, you know, the ship's captain, who's pretty loyal, you know, mm-hmm. extremely like loyal to her and stuff too. So, yeah, I mean, it's you know, Danny gets these triumphant moments throughout throughout this book. It's just it's 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 hard to like read them as triumphant, though, when you, you know, you're thinking about a You know, a dance with dragons, I guess Mm -hmm. it's just like a temporary, a temporary high. Right. It's sort of analogous to Rob winning all the battles in in Mm -hmm. the first two books. He's been winning the battles, but he's not winning the war. And she's the problem is, is I think her initial goal makes sense, but she's got all these side quests, which. I understand why she's doing them, but at the same time, this becomes like unsustainable. Yeah. I mean, if her goal here is just to free as many slaves as possible, I mean, you know, that's great. But if she wants to get to Westeros and yeah, if she wants to get to Westeros and be, and be queen. Yeah. This is not, you know, not the not way to do it. Yeah. Um, did we have any questions on this chapter? We do. Let me pull those up. Um, so, uh, Cardinal Girl 75 on the Discord asks, I think this is the first time where Danny acknowledges that the Targaryen line will end with her because Mary told her she's barren. In an alternate re- world where this is the truth, uh, Aka or R plus L doesn't equal J. Danny wins the throne. The others are defeated, and George actually finishes the series. Who becomes her heir? Well, or mean, does Westeros devolve into a civil war again after her death? I mean, if you assume that it's a Targaryen, you know, the Targaryens, then if Stannis is alive, Stannis is her heir. And if he's not, Shireen's the heir. Mm. I mean, that's pretty, you know, to me, that's straightforward. If you assume they're both dead, then we get into like the, you know, Selwyn, Brienne of Tarth things. If we're going, you know, purely by who's the closest related Targaryen to her, because it would be whoever... You know, presumably whoever's coming from Egg Sisters. 
Um, Savic asks, uh, a Gmail asks, am I the only one who had some reservation about Danny's decision to force her nervous horse to gallop straight into the huge crowd of people at the end of the chapter? Oh, I was thinking of uh, dangerous. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, they are reaching out to, to touch her. I've never tried to touch the legs of someone racing along on a horse in full gallop, but to me, that sounds like something that would definitely result in major injury. Uh, but of course, Danny galloping along on her silver feels always, always feels good, especially in the earlier chapters in a game of Thrones, it was always connected to her experiencing a moment of empowerment and claiming some freedom for herself. Um, Yes. And before we answer that, she says, thanks for keeping the fire going. I love to hang out at your A Song of Ice and Fire Hearth while I'm at my reread. It's my favorite place in fandom Aww. right now. So Aww. I'll try to keep throwing some wood on every now and then. <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, I don't know anything about horses. Well, that's dangerous. <laughs> I mean, that could kill some easily. Kill someone. <laughs> or, you know, yeah. Her horse. But I, or, you know, yeah, or hurt her horse. I always kind of feel like Danny's almost like... Not like a warg, but there's like an an a special connection kind of, and that you know while Silver might have been nervous about that, like she's able to like transmit like her calmness to her. Mm. I don't know. I just I feel like there's a little bit more of a you know maybe this is just like the horse girl in me, but like there's a little bit more of a connection between them. It's or it's kind of like just George being fantastical and not thinking of like realistic logistics of like a crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I mean, it would probably yeah, like it would have to be realistic. something fantastical because otherwise a horse would pass. You know, unless the horse is used to crowds, maybe I don't know. No. Well, and they'd probably yeah. you know they'd probably knock her down from her horse and rip her to shreds just <laughs> trying to like touch her. You know, that's true. Yeah. Mm. Or they literally crowd surf like in the the you know related show scene. So the, the horse could crowd surf to the <laughs> horse. horse up too. I mean that would be amazing <laughs> if the horse would crowd surf. That would be really cool. Missed opportunity. Yeah, really. I mean, if we could have like the Tyrion, you know, if he was ever thinking of like Tyrion doing all the tumbling Flips. and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe we could have had a horse crowd surfing. Oh. Uh, Buck O'Hare on the Discord asks. Uh, on first read, were you surprised by Emo Rhaegar? <laughs> oh, and I, I don't remember. Fit. I mean, I, it seemed to fit. I, for some reason, I guess it just fit the visuals of what everyone had. Well, mm. and I mean, we hear like way back when, and I don't know what chapter of Arya's it is, but when they're, um, it, gosh, it must have been like maybe in one of the early Game of Thrones chapters when they're talking about um, the night of the laughing, tr- the night of the laughing tree. And, you know, talking about how Liana, you know, was crying over Rhaegar's songs, his harp and stuff. And, I mean, you know, he kind of gives the impression that he's, like, that guy, you know? Like, he's a musician. Yeah. Kind of. (laughs) Just think about the musician, you know, friends I knew in college who were male. They were kind of angsty. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like he's always sort of had, like, some angst associated with him. So that's it for the, the specific... Um, comments. We do have some general, well, we do have an, uh, an email, uh, a Tumblr message from someone generally. Uh, a stranger giving thanks says, okay, having just listened to your Davos chapter, I just want to say that an oft overlooked shipper line from this chapter is now Neil, your king commands. Davos, <laughs> Davos knelt and Stannis drew his longsword. 
Like, fuck. <laughs> dude, you pair that with it's your tongue to do. It is your tongue to do with as you please. It I mean, is, he said, calmer. Asked, has anyone ever asked George about this? Like, I mean, I confront the dude with those two passages and be like, come on, are you trying to, like, insinuate something here? I don't think anyone ever has. It's too bad he doesn't do, like, the, you know, answer the fans' questions anymore. Because I feel like there'd be, he would totally, he probably would answer it. There's nothing plot-wise, I don't think, that would preclude That him. would preclude it, yeah. Yeah. Um, they go on to write... Um, as fun as those lines are, there is something so sweet and also so sad about Stavos as a ship. It's the sort of thing that demands a fic where Stannis dreams in the night of being Davos's first mate and spending his days doing straightforward, honest work in Davos's steadfast company, only to wake up a king again with a longing and a bitter sorrow he can't even begin to name. <laughs> you get the impression that Davos is one of the only people that Stannis actively <laughs> enjoys being around. This is true. And there's also something so compelling about the fact that Davos truly sees Stannis and accepts his many flaws while still loving him anyway. Stavos does not, or Stannis does not need to be widely liked, but he's a human being who needs love, and I think it absolutely does get to him how little love he inspires. Given that from his POV, he's gotten up every single day of his life and tried to do his best what he's supposed to. The fact that Davos loves him is clearly very appreciated by Stannis, and it's just, I don't even need it to be queer and sexual. Just the simple, strong regard that canonically exists is so endearing. When Stannis is with Dan Davos, you get this glimpse into an alternate universe where Stannis maybe could have been content. It makes it all the sadder because Stannis is clearly on a path away from decency and away from being someone Davos can love and follow. The way the show had him burn Shireen over like 10 minutes screen time of bad weather was so very stupid, but I still think it would have been the perfect gut-wrenching ending if only Stannis was imprisoned and awaiting execution and was visited one last time by Davos, and the two of them shared a tender, heartbroken moment where Davos is furious and done being loyal to Stannis while still loving and mourning the man he once was. Um, while Stannis is heartbroken that he has fallen so far that he has lost the respect of the one man whose opinion he actually cared about. And in the morning, they share a last lingering look before Brienne deals the final blow. I truly hope they get a final scene in the books, but again, knowing George, probably not, even if he ever does finish them. Also, there are obvious Davos and Brienne parallels, but I think it's most interesting to think of him in contrast to Barristan Selmy and their different flavors of loyalty, loyalty with and without a backbone. I'm sorry for the long post and I'm interested to hear your thoughts. I like um, that phrase loyalty with a backbone, right? Like that yeah. seems to be like a really succinct way of, of describing Davos, right? Yeah. But I mean, it's like a beautiful, I mean, that's a great message, like, and like a beautiful description of, you know, of their relationship. And yeah, I mean, it's like, it's more fun if it's sexual and obviously like George is right, you know, having fun with it too. But yeah, I mean, just like the, the idea that this, you know, and I mean, like we go back to like the proud wing story and stuff and just like this, you know, kind of unloved overlooked boy and just, you know, that there were people, you know, there are people that, you know, truly like, I mean, that's kind of the thing, I guess, we know that there are people who truly love Stannis, like Davos mm -hmm. loved Stannis, his Septon loved, you know, like loved Stannis and, or not Septon, Master Crescent, right? Loved Stannis. Yeah. And I mean, 
how many people are there in these books that have two people that truly, you know, like mm-hmm. truly love, like know them, like know them completely and truly love them. Like, you know, Stannis for all of his griping maybe is like actually more for, you know, way more fortunate than he realizes. They also go on to ask, uh, would you ever consider making a Tumblr post every month or so listing the chapters you're about to record to remind us to get our questions in time for the chapters? I always forget to do it until I hear the episode itself. Thanks for all your hard work. So I do send out um, a call for questions on our our subreddit. Well, on the Jamie Brand subreddit. I don't know who owns it. And also on the Discord. I could probably do that on Tumblr. Yeah, it seems like maybe Tumblr's making it a back too so yeah it's been so yeah. long yeah i've heard more about tumblr so it was so long since i've been on there yeah. yeah i'm there more now that there's i'm not on twitter so i'll okay. yeah i think that's a good idea and let's hope i remember to do that um but i'll try yeah and i was just thinking briefly while she was you know while listening to her letter i think it's kind of too that's probably why people i don't know i felt like the the you know, status and Deva's fan fiction was really popular because I felt like that was a space where you could explore that relationship without like all the, you know, not every, but all the life and death, you know, especially the ones that are like alternate, you know, universe kind of thing. Um, you know, not in that specific world because it's just so yeah. hard in the situations they're in that are so absolutely like horrific. And that, you know, so it, it's interesting to kind of be able to take a step back and look at, okay, how would these relationships work? You know, there'd still be issues, but not that (laughs) extreme. Well, just like an interesting, you know, like they're two really, they're two, I mean, I don't know, is Davos complex? Like I would say they're two complex individuals, but I don't know that Davos is that complex. Um, Stannis is obviously, but I mean, it doesn't mean he's not interesting just because he's like not particularly complex, but I mean, they're, they're dynamic. Yeah, their dynamic and their relationship is really, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, just in the sense of, you know, whenever an author creates two characters who connect like that, whether it's romantic or, you know, or not or whatever. I mean, that's interesting to read. I don't, I mean, do you guys, like, thinking about, like, are they ever going to see each other again? You know, hypothetically, books were written. And I feel like, I mean, no. I think it's, well, I mean, it. so I am. I am not convinced what the show did is at all what was supposed to happen. No. Yeah. And, but I mean, Stannis is in the North. Davos is somewhere in the North, <laughs> you know, <laughs> potentially <laughs> there's gotta be. And if, if, possible? Yeah. and if there is something like if this business of sacrificing Shireen, which I really hope is not supposed to happen, but I mean, I have to believe that, like that there would be something there because it's just so much a part of who Davos is. And I really get the sense that George likes Davos and we are never in Stannis's head. Right. I mean, we don't know like what well, we, we have a sense of who he is, but we're never in his mind. So we don't, you know, we're not in his POV. I think it would make sense for them to be together. Whether or not that actually happens is a whole yeah. other thing, which we talk about every damn episode. So you know, it's so funny, like, we're never in Stannis's head, he doesn't have a POV, yet I feel like if I, I feel like he's written in such a way that we all know exactly what it would be like to be in his head, like, he's very, I, I like, think he's a very much a what you see is what you get guy. I mean, it, it's not like they're layers, it, he's not a little finger with all the plots and all the stuff, he's not, like, even a Howlin' Reed, I mean, he is who we've seen him, you know, but I mean... 
I think in terms of like, if you were writing a novel and which George or series of novels, you would want to have that sort of closure. Mm-hmm. And I mean, who else is going to, going to be there to provide that? Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, they have the connection with the Manderleys who would know, you know, where they, you know, Stannis will shortly, pro- you know, would shortly hypothetically get it be like aligned with the Manderleys who then, you know, know about you know davos and stuff so they could recon you know that would could spark a reconnection so yeah well uh, i hope so i mean i you know i just would hope we read it someday but obviously we don't need to worry about that well that is our mail anyone else have any comments on danny anyone want to make any confessions about the um you know worst man you've been attracted to I can safely say nobody liked Dario. Yeah, same. <laughs> I I have a thing and who look like the devil. So um, Dave Navarro from um, Fiction and Red Hot Chili Peppers for a while. He's like kind of the you know big eyeliner, questionable everything mm-hmm. person for me. He's my Dario Naharis. <laughs> <laughs> No blue beard though. Although I shouldn't say that. There very well might be pictures yeah, of Dave yeah. Like that's that's not a safe assumption to make. So well, um, I would love it if people would tell us their um unfortunate, maybe <laughs> their fortunate attractions. That'd be fun. So if you if you want to share some of your own um, you know, teenage teenage regrets, um, but you can find us at close the door and at gmail.com. Um, on the Jamie and Brian subreddit, we're fairly active um you can tweet us at door podcast uh on tumblr at close the door and come here um like and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast and you can support us on patreon at close the door and with that i am actually closing the door get out